During the summer, when my family and I were on holiday in Devon, we noticed that uh, as we went down some of the steep hill roads, occasionally they had off them at slight angle gravelly tracks marked Escape Lane. The name almost suggested to us a place for a fun adventure, but of course they're really there for an emergency in case your brakes fail. When these word escape nowadays is used, sometimes it's a bit loose. A mini holiday might be considered an escape. And the TV programme Escape to the Country is about finding a home in a rural location. Nothing to do with being in peril digging a tunnel from under your hut or jumping over a barbed wire fence on a motorbike, which I think would make it a far more exciting show. But instead, you have to guess which house you're going to buy. The word escape rightly belongs connected to something like our passage today, where Peter is chained and imprisoned and needs to be broken free. The Chronicler of Acts, Luke, tells that the Apostle's life is in real danger. He is guarded, he's not left alone, and James, the brother of John, has already been executed, and Peter will soon face a show trial, just as quickly as the festival is over. The timing of this arrest is perhaps very deliberate by Herod. The festival of unleavened bread and Passover is greatly symbolic, not only for the Jewish people, but also for the followers of Jesus. Herod is awaiting Easter, the anniversary of Christ's rising to put the Christian believers down. He's going to kill a prominent member of that group. But let's remember what is marked at Passover. It is the release of God's people from their captivity in Egypt. And what do we remember about Jesus and Easter? That we are freed from the captivity of sin and the grave cannot hold us. So this escape from captivity that Peter has is set in a temporal setting of other events of release and reminds us again of God in his great power able to bring freedom into our lives. How And he can do that. However awful our predicament, God offers hope. However bad things are, God offers hope. He offers freedom. That vision of escape at the first Passover is, is seen again in, in what Peter is told to do as the chains fall free. To put his clothes on, to put sandals on his feet, to wrap his cloak around him. It's just like the instructions given for the first Passover meal, how they were supposed to eat. The instructions given to the children of Israel who would eat in haste their meal before fleeing. And they ate demonstrating with their action of being dressed that God was going to come and answer their prayer 
for return to the homeland that they had long awaited to go to, a land where they had not been for 400 years, a land that was promised to Abraham. Now, while Peter was under arrest, his friends were crying out in prayer. And their gathering place is sometimes claimed to be the same room as Jesus had shared the supper on the night that he was betrayed. The same room, perhaps, that he'd appeared risen in front of the disciples, even though the door was locked. And possibly also where the believers had been gathered together in prayer on the day of Pentecost. If so, this place has for the believers an amazing catalogue of events of God's great power and presence being with them. And even if it's not the same location, we know it's a large place that they can meet. John Stott, in one commentary, suggests that uh, based on the brief description here, that there was maybe an outer courtyard as part of the premises. There's different rooms, an upper room where they pray, many places. It's a big place for all the believers to gather. And as they do so, they are of one mind and come together with a common purpose. They are praying earnestly, fervently, maybe unceasingly, day and night, a continual prayer meeting for Peter to be saved from the guards and from Herod. When Rhoda recognises Peter's voice at the door, everyone dismisses her, don't they? You're out of your head. You're out of your mind. You're not thinking. What rubbish they are saying to her. They think it can't be him in person. Then when the door is opened, they're said to be astonished that he is there. But had that not been what they were praying, had that not been the very purpose of what they'd been asking? Their prayers are answered, but it is as if they did not expect that to happen. It's almost as if their prayers for action had been words, but not prayers at all, not heartfelt prayers. But I mean, they hadn't really discerned that it was something God wanted them to pray, nor were they confident that God would answer this prayer. And so the words spoken were more of an encouragement, a way of supporting each other, rather than actually lifting the circumstances to God. It wasn't really a heartfelt appeal. It wasn't really that sense that he was going to answer. Now, the, there are some people of the faith that do have this limited understanding of prayer, that that is what we do when we pray. We, we just reassure ourselves and others um, that the situation will be all right. But actually, that's not right, is it? I believe in a God who cares about us, in a God who listens to us, a God who responds in power when we pray. When we ask him, he will respond. But as Danny was saying there, 
It's not just asking anything. It's asking for something that is God's will. When you pray, do you simply speak the words or do you pray in the belief that what we are asking forms something of God's will for the world and that he will indeed bring forth a new element of his kingdom on the earth? That he, our God, the God that created everything, will actually change things when we ask. I know that the word change is a difficult one, but every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, or every time we petition him in some other prayer, we are asking for God to bring change, for him to change the situation. We are asking God to change the world to make it a world that is more like his first creation, more like the new creation that he will one day bring. The Christian needs to want change. The world is fallen. There is pain and suffering and strife, but these things are worldly and not of God. And when the kingdom comes in fullness on Jesus' return, these things that are currently bringing great sadness will be ended. But until then, we pray asking for the world to change, giving us a glimpse of that future vision of the new earth and the new heaven. Indeed, we, not, we need not simply be asking but we need to be expecting God to bring that change. Jesus tells us in Matthew 21, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, there's two aspects to that word there, belief, isn't there? Firstly, the, the belief in our heart that God answers. If we believe, if, we, if we're going to ask for it, just as we trust the waiter to bring us the food, we trust God will bring us the answer to the prayer. We have to believe in our heart that God answers. But there is also that other element of belief, our belief in God and in God's ways, in his way of justice, in his way of joy, in his way of peace. So that our belief in God's character and his nature will guide the prayer that we bring. And when we pray, it will be answered. But it's also true that there are times that when we pray, we will end up being worse off. Do you think about that when you pray? That the response to prayer, God's response to prayer, is actually that we might see detriment to ourselves. It might be in our finances, in our health, in our family situation. Now that sometimes takes a bit of getting our head round, can't it? Sometimes the answer to prayer is giving of our time. Sometimes the answer to prayer requires us to put in effort. Sometimes 
the answer to the prayer requires us to be doing something financially, not necessarily the giving to the church. It might actually mean an increase in tax. It might mean giving money to somebody else. It might mean buying something you didn't expect to buy or buying something in a different way. Prayer often requires us to be sacrificial. But then again, the whole Christian life is not about seeking things that are cushy and comfortable for us. Not seeking our way, but seeking the Lord's way. Seeking what will make the love of God be real in the life of other people. And so we shouldn't expect things to necessarily be comfortable after we pray, but actually sometimes it might make it harder for us, but better for somebody else. If you see Christ and his church as an escape lane from the world, then you could be right and you could be wrong. We do not escape from the facts we live in a fallen, broken world. Or that each of us is called to bear witness in such a place. But in him we do have an escape. He is the path we need to go when everything else is heading downward. And when we believe and turn into him, he will answer with outstretched arms of love. Because that is who he is. He is the God of love. He gives us an escape too from sin and the result of sin, our life ending in death. Because he gives us new life, in him we can be forgiven and we know eternal life with the Father and the Son in the Spirit. In him, in God, we really do have a prayer. Amen.